Well, please stand as I read God's word this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to wrap up this, uh, this chapter, Ephesians 4, and then go into Ephesians 5. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29, this is God's word. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Please be seated. Well, as I was thinking about my school days, I couldn't help but think of when I was a senior in high school, I was the student government president of the student body at Bearden High School uh, several years ago. And one thing I wanted to do as student body president was to come up with ideas to enhance our school pride and to get our students fired up for the Bearden Bulldogs. Uh, one idea I came up with was to spray paint uh, my car. I, I, had an old, I had an old Subaru car. It was a 1987 Subaru that had been passed down from my oldest brother to then my sisters and then me. And it was just a, an old car that my brother painted black. And, and I thought, you know, I'm getting rid of this car. I'm going to get a new car. So one way to fire up the student body is if we, we, we painted this black car, the Farragut Admiral colors, and got a sledgehammer and went to work on this car. And sure enough, I got the principal's approval. It was a fundraiser. It was right before the big football game, Bearden versus Farragut. And our student body just had a blast just tearing up my old Subaru car. It was outstanding. People got fired up when they just hit this car with a sledgehammer. But the other idea that I'll never forget was if you've ever been to a, a college basketball game, you, you recognize that when the whole team scores a three-pointer, the cheerleaders, they get t-shirts and they either shoot it out with this gun or they throw out these t-shirts into the crowd and the fans fight over the t-shirt and whoever gets the t-shirt, they, they, they typically unravel the shirt and they may put it on or they just show it to the crowd and the crowd goes nuts because these free t-shirts were being passed out after the three-point shot. Well, after I went to a UT basketball game, I, I had the idea, well, I could do that at Bearden at a basketball game. And because I was a poor student, I ended up rummaging through my clothes and I found these old white undershirts that I wore. They had stains on it. They had holes in it. There was rips. I don't even know if I had washed them. And for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to give these to the cheerleaders to throw out to my friends. And so sure enough, they end up rolling them up and they were kind of grossed out, but they rolled them up and I was able to convince them whenever we hit a three-point shot, just throw these shirts and see what happens. 
well, for about 10 times or so, they're throwing it out, and you started noticing what people did. And it was a reaction I didn't think would happen. It was the opposite effect of what I was hoping for. They unraveled these old white undershirts, and, and everybody's like, this is disgusting, yuck, and they throw them away. <laughs> I only had one friend, and he was a good friend. His name was Zach, and he's about twice my size. And he unrolls this shirt and he puts it on and it barely fit him. And the crowd went nuts. And I said, well, good. I, I'm glad I got the point across to enhance school spirit. Well, it was after the second game, my friend Daniel, his, his dad came up to me and he said, Seth, man, I wish you'd just come to me. He said, because I'm a manager at Dr. Pepper. I could give you a thousand t-shirts that are free. Why didn't you come to me? And I said, well, I didn't think of it. I'm sorry. That'd be great. And so sure enough, he donates a thousand brand new t-shirts and it was a hit because the cheerleaders would throw them out and the people loved, our, our fans, our students loved to get new fresh t-shirts. Now, why do I share this crazy example with you? Well, it made me think of this passage we're looking at today. How Paul instructs us as Christians to put off our old wardrobe because it has stains on it. It has holes in it. It smells, it's yucky, put off the sinful nature, put off our sinful old ways of living before we were Christians and put on a new wardrobe that's fresh, that's clean, that smells good. That's what Paul instructs us to do in these these passages. As we become Christians, we are to put off the old self in us and put on the new desires that God gives us. Jesus gives us a new identity in its identity where we are rich in love and grace and mercy. It's, it's the clothes that we are to wear of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Unfortunately, as we become Christians, we also still fight the sinful flesh. And we, we want to go back to our, our, our old way of doing things and wear our old clothes. But they're stainy. There's stains on it and they're gross. We need to get rid of it and we need to put on the new clothes that God has given us and that he has for us. So as we look at this text, last week, uh, Paul had given us five examples of what to put off and put on. We we talked about three of those examples if you were here last week. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you uh, to watch or to listen to the sermon so it'll give you a good understanding of, of what we're talking about here. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish in, in verse chapter 4 by looking at the two remaining examples of what Paul instructs us to do. Uh, the fourth example he gives us to put off is he, is he told us to put off unwholesome talk, to put on uplifting speech or uplifting words, and because it will give grace to those who hear our uplifting talk or speech. Now, I use the word unwholesome in the ESV translation. You notice in verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk. Uh, The NIV and the NASB, they use the word unwholesome. I like that word better because it's closer to the original language. Uh, The original language of the Greek is sarpos, which really means unwholesome. Sarpos means stain. It means putrid. It means rotten. It's this idea of a rotten apple or a dead fish. And when you think about a rotten apple or a dead fish, what comes to mind? Yuck, disgusting, smelly. Well, that's the point that Paul was getting at here. Unwholesome talk 
is cursing. It's obscene talk. It's vulgarity. It's slander. It's malicious talk. It's that that kind of talk that Paul is referring to. And that kind of talk creates a toxic and a bad environment. When you think about a, a rotten apple, what do you think about? Well, it smells. It's gross. As I was thinking about this word unwholesome, I couldn't help but think about my football days at Bearden and how you would go into the locker room after a game, and it's the worst smell you could ever smell. It was disgusting. But it didn't just smell. It also reeked of vulgarity. It's the locker room talk that you hear about. And I remember going home at night saying, not only did that locker room smell, but man, that that talk was awful. But here's the thing about unwholesome talk. It smells and it creates a toxic, bad environment around you. That's why Paul was saying, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we've got to put off that obscene obscene talk and put on encouraging words that are uplifting to others and not downgrading to others. A rotten apple smells, but the other thing a rotten apple does is it doesn't nourish. If you were to take a bite from a rotten apple, you'd spit it out. You might even get sick. And that's what unwholesome talk does. It not only creates a smelly environment, but it also can make you sick inside. It can turn you into somebody that you didn't want to be. That's what unwholesome talk does. It really kind of corrupts you on the inside and it can make you sick. But the other thing a rotten apple can do is it comes from a diseased tree. And if you think about unwholesome talk, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Jesus says that in Matthew 12. So as we speak obscene talk or or give vulgarity or, or, or as we curse or as we slander or gossip, what is that an indicator of? It's an indicator of our hearts. It's a true indicator of what's really on the inside. And it shows and reveals that what's on the inside is diseased. Just like a rotten apple comes from a diseased tree. As, as, I, as we look at these examples that Paul gave us, I don't want us to leave here today saying, oh, I've just got to do better and I've got to be better. It's, it's not about behavior modification. It's not about improving our behavior, although that is a good thing. At the end of the day, what Paul is getting at here is heart transformation, not behavior modification. It's a matter of the heart. And so students, as you go to school, as you participate in sports or extracurricular activities, I caution you to not only watch what you say, but to watch the environment that you're around. Because the environment that you surround yourself can, can really wreak havoc to your soul and it can corrupt you. And I see it often as a chaplain in the military, I'll see young airmen join the military and they'll hang out with the wrong crowd. And all of a sudden they're cussing every other word. And I'm scratching my head saying, what happened? Well, it's because of the environment that they're around and the environment that they end up creating. 
what God wants us to do is he wants us to put off that kind of talk and to put on helpful conversation, conversation that builds people up and not tears them down. And that's where Paul's getting at in verse 29 when he says, as you give edifying words, it will impart grace on people. It will lift them up. It will encourage them. But notice what Paul said in verse 29. As he, as he said here, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. What he, what he mentioned here is there is a right time and a right place to give a right word. And so take advantage of helpful talk and encouraging words by giving them at the right moment. Now, all of us in this room have been encouraged by someone sometime in our life. And if you can reflect upon that time, I guarantee it was a time when you were discouraged and you needed somebody to encourage you. And that person who encouraged you gave you just the right words at just the time you needed it. That's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying when you give helpful words to others, when you give encouraging words, you are to do it at the right time. Don't overdo it because people won't won't believe you. But give encouraging words at the right moment. And when you do that, it will be soothing to their soul. It will lift them up. It will be an encouragement to them. So the fourth example Paul gives us is he says, put off the old clothes of unwholesome talk and put on uplifting words because it imparts grace to others and it lifts them up. The fifth and final example that Paul gives us on what to put off is he tells us to put off hateful actions and hateful attitudes and put on loving attitudes and loving actions because... We should not grieve the Holy Spirit, but rather we should imitate Christ. When you look at verses 30 and 31, Paul is crystal clear here. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul listed six vices, six words that are harmful to not only individuals, but to those around them. And then he lists three virtues that are helpful to people and to groups of people. When you look at those six words, I really categorize those six words as anger, boiled up anger. And there's two words that you don't hear about very often. One is clamor and the other is malice. Clamor means that it is a loud outcry that disrupts the peace and it causes confusion. It's a public outcry where you simply just lash out at another person out of anger. Malice is harming others through intentional acts of wickedness. It's the general term for the root of evil. It's your evil intentions. Paul clearly tells us as Christians, put off these forms of behavior because it will not only damage you, but it will damage your reputations. Some of you in here, let's be frank, are angry people. 
You're frustrated at the world, and you're mad, and you have an angry spirit within you. If I'm describing you, the Bible's saying, throw that away. Put it off. Now, you may not know if you're an angry person, and so I'm going to give you five signs to think about that might reveal an angry spirit or an angry person. The first question or first sign I want to ask of you is, do you replay events and assure yourself that you are in the right? Whenever there's a conflict, do you replay, replay the events, and every time you replay it, you're in the right? If that's you, you might just be an angry person. Do you feel victimized all the time? Are you defending yourself? And are you always the victim? If that is you, you might have an angry spirit. Do you have trouble when there is conflict thinking rationally while you're under stress? Do you have trouble thinking rationally and logically? And do you let your emotions get the best of you? If that is you, you might have an angry spirit. Do the small things in life bother you more than they should? I was talking to a man yesterday at the base, and he said, Seth, I'm just frustrated. And I said, why is that? He said, I just went to Chick-fil-A, and they ran out of waffle fries. He's like, I'm just mad. And I wanted to say, well, sir, you have an angry spirit. (laughs) But I didn't do that because he would have put me in my place. But that's an example, right? The small things that bother you. Do you love to criticize? Are you critical of our nation's leaders? It's easy to be critical of them at times, but are you always critical of them? Are you critical of church leadership? Are you critical of of your management? Are you critical of your spouse or your own family? If that is you, you might just have an angry spirit. Here's the good news if I described you. Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you of your angry spirit. Here's the bad news. You got to do something about it. Paul is crystal clear here. Put off the angry spirit that's residing in you. And put on a loving spirit that's tender, that's compassionate, that's forgiving, that's kind. Put that on. And as he said here in verse 32, what did he say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Those are the three virtues that we are to put on as Christians. And we are to put off those six vices that Paul described. As we look at these five examples of what Paul has given us in these verses... We need to know that these five things grieve the Holy Spirit. They grieve Him. As we look at this passage, we see the Holy Spirit has emotions. That tells me the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force that's out there. You know, the Star Wars, let the force be with you. There's no such thing as a force. There's also a lot of, a lot of talk about karma these days. Karma doesn't exist. Holy Spirit exists. 
Holy Spirit is not karma. He's not a force. Holy Spirit is God. He is a person who has deep-seated feelings. And Holy Spirit not only loves deeply, he also grieves deeply. And he grieves when we sin. He grieves when we continue to go back to our sinful ways. He hates when we sin. So Paul is getting, he's driving the point home here when he said, when you do these things, you're causing God grief. So instead of causing God grief, what are we to do? We are to imitate Jesus Christ. We are to walk in love. And as you look at chapter 5, that's the point Paul is making. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, again, as you're hearing me talk, you might say, well, Seth, you're just telling me a bunch of, you're giving me a list. You're telling me a bunch of do's and don'ts. Well, yeah, I am, because Paul is saying that. But at the end of the day, we don't want to leave here today saying, well, I've got to do better and I've got to be better and I've got to do all these things. Now, yes, that is part of it. But the big question is, why? Why should we do these things? We should do it for two reasons. Number one is because we are beloved children of God. Let me say that again. We should desire to walk in love and live a lifestyle of love because we're loved. We're loved by the God of the universe, God the Father. And he says, you are my child. We are children of the Almighty. If that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. But the God who created this world loves you. And because he loves you, it should compel you to put off the old person and put on the new person in Jesus and to walk a life worthy of him. Now, when Paul used the word imitators of God as beloved children, the word imitator is where we get the word mimic. And when you imitate and mimic someone, what do you do? You copy them. I've got four little, little kids, and some of them are back there right now, and they are playing the copycat game, where almost every day they'll repeat what I say or they'll mimic what I do. And they just copy. And it's fun for about three or four minutes. But they love the game Simon Says. Every kid loves it. Well, in the same way, Paul is saying we need to copy God the Father. Because he's perfect. It's not Simon Says. It's God Says. It's what Jesus Says. And what Jesus Says, we are to mimic we are to imitate. Now, I have noticed as of late, my kids are picking up my good behaviors and they're picking up my bad behaviors, my bad habits. My father used to chew his nails. I, as a kid, began to chew my nails. 
I still to this day at times chew my nails. Now I'm seeing my kids chewing their nails. And I'm saying, kids, quit chewing your nails. And they're saying, well, daddy, you do it. We're just imitating you. Well, that's true and very convicting. Thank you. (laughs) You know what? The good news about God the Father is there is no bad habits with God. It's all good. He is a good God. 100% perfect God. And Paul is saying, learn to imitate God because you're his child. That should be a motivating drive for us to put off the old and put on the new. But the second reason why we should be motivated to do these things, it's not just a list of do and don'ts. There's a reason for all these things. It's because Christ gave his life for us. There is no greater love than this, that one should die for his friends. Jesus Christ loves us so much. He left heaven and he came to this earth and he died a terrible death so that we could be made right with the perfect God the Father in heaven and we could be forgiven of our sins. That is the good news of Christianity. And that good news is what compels us to wake up every morning It compels us to roll up our sleeves and to get to work and to go to school and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's the love of Christ that will compel you to put off the sinful ways of living and to put on his ways. But it's only his love and through the power of the Holy Spirit that will compel us to live in this way. And it is a daily process. It is a daily journey. So if I'm talking to you students here, I want you to remember what I'm saying today. This is the big picture. As you wake up every morning, you're not just going to school and just working. You're waking up to go to school to give God glory. You're a beloved child of God. He has died for you. Remember that as you wake up in the morning. If you're an adult in the room and you're struggling with depression or you're having trouble just making it, please hear what I'm saying. You're loved, you're cherished, you're valued, you're forgiven. And whatever you've done in the past, whatever what's been done to you, God loves you, he forgives you. Let's move forward in faith. I know it's easier said than done. That's why it's said over and over and over again in the Bible. And we need to beat this message in our head. And it ultimately needs to flow to our hearts. Because when it flows to our hearts, then we will experience new life, we'll experience change, and we'll begin to live differently. But it all starts here. It starts here. So as we look at this fall, it's about to get busy. Things are about to ramp up for everybody starting tomorrow. I would hate for us to get so busy that we forget the big picture. But may we look at this passage and not only learn to imitate the Lord, but embrace the love of Jesus Christ and walk in love. You may have been watching the Olympics. There's been one athlete that my wife and I have been watching closely. Her name is Cindy McLaughlin. 
Cindy's 21 years old, and she's a strong believer in Jesus Christ. And she shattered the world record for the women's 400-meter hurdles. She's the only woman in all of history that got it under 52 seconds. Do you know what Sydney said after she received the gold medal? She said, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Here's a 21-year-old athlete, gold medalist, world record holder, who knows the big picture in life. It's not about getting gold medals. It's not about setting records because records come and go. They can be shattered. But at the end of the day, it's about the Lord. (laughs) And our lives are to reflect him and to give him glory. It's not a matter of self-recognition. It is a matter of glorifying God. That's why we exist. So as you go to school each day, as you go to work each day, as you just wake up in the morning and you live life each day, remember our lives are to glorify our perfect good God. Keep that big picture in mind.